Reading a little viewer mail at the top of the hour here, we had an email from David L. Carter quite some time ago in response to our question about what's a good song to go with Till We Have Faces. He said, by the way, the song that sums up Till We Have Faces best for me is Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill. I should listen to more Kate Bush. Then he sent me a link to Running Up That Hill on YouTube. And this, by the way, was in January of this past year. I had the treat of getting Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush stuck in my head just a few months before it was stuck in everybody else's head. And now it's it's still stuck in my head. It doesn't hurt me. You want to feel, you wanna feel how it out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. So welcome you all to a very special bonus episode of Inklings Variety Hour, where we have the original crew back together. What? Um, what? Megan Foxton and Annika Smith. How are you all doing? So glad to see your beautiful faces. So excited to have Megan back. Yay. I'm excited to be back and uh, geek out about stuff with y'all. <laughs> so we were just texting each other about Stranger Things. We figured, you know, so few people are talking about Stranger Things. <laughs> Um, we should really make a podcast about it. I bet there's no other podcast about Stranger Things out there. We always Plosity say of podcasts. Yeah, just like just like Lewis and Tolkien, you know, they couldn't find books out there that were about the stuff that they liked. They wrote their own books about that stuff. We're gonna do that. We're gonna blaze a trail and talk about Stranger Things and and maybe find some you yeah. know, connections to some of the Inklings work and maybe some other connections with, with things. Yeah, um, I mean, I I will say the Kate Bush song. As soon as I, and I'd, I'd heard it a few times before, it's been on KEXP for years. It's obviously very catchy and gets in your head, but I never really listened to the lyrics. And then watching Stranger Things and hearing, if only I could, I'd make a deal with God and I'd get him to swap our places. Be run up that road, run up that hill. I was like, oh my gosh, this is Charles Williams. This is substitutionary mm. yes. love. How have we never discussed this in Descent into Hell? This is like the doppelganger mm. meeting. Yeah. yeah go also, also, that line, uh, the let's exchange the experience. Yeah. Very much about that like web of exchange, substitutionary love. Even though I'm sure she did not have Charles Williams in the back of her head when she wrote that. But oh, of course she did. <laughs> who knows? Maybe she did. I don't know. I don't know if Kate Bush. You know, they're both well. British. It could be. They are both British. <laughs> so, and as we all know, all British people know all of the other British people. Obviously, That's right. so That's right. it's a very small island. It's a yes. mind hive. It's much like the Upside Down. <laughs> it's a uh, mind. Our hive mind. Hive mind. Yeah. I like, yeah. like mind hive. Let's use that. I, I do like uh, mind hive. 
trending. Let's get it trending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing what my daughter does. Adriana constantly postposes adjectives. So for a long time, she was saying poop dog instead of dog poop. <laughs> I really like poop dog. Wow. <laughs> so she just we thought it was really funny. So she, oh my goodness. she is a real ham. So she just got a lot of mileage out of yelling like, poop dog. <laughs> oh. Since this is at least in theory an Inklings podcast, uh, what are some connections to the works of the Inklings? I guess it's just a question to start out and then we will probably veer off in different directions. What, what are some other connections that you all saw, not just necessarily with the Kate Bush song, but with, uh, with other things? They, I mean, they make obvious references to Tolkien, you know. I say you're asking me to follow you into Mordor, which, if I'm totally straight with you, I think it's a really bad idea. But uh, the Shire, the Shire is burning. So Mordor it is. So they make obvious Tolkien references, which are probably there also because they are clearly influenced by D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, yes. which is influenced by Tolkien. So therefore you get Tolkien influence anyway. So, I mean, again, like the general themes that are present in I think all of the Inklings works of like good versus evil, light versus dark. It's cliche as it sounds to say, but the power of love and friendship <laughs> wins the day, you know. So so all of those are present. If you want me to jump straight into the into Charles Williams waters, we we can go Jump in. Um, dive deep. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, uh, there were a couple of, of things that seemed very Williamsian uh, in watching Stranger Things, but one of them was the whole, oh, oh, before we go any further, I was going to say, if you have not watched Stranger Things, please do not keep listening to this podcast and go watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I okay. am going to be spoiling <laughs> plot details uh, as we go forward. So, I, it's rare for people to tell you to turn off a podcast, but please do. If you have not watched Stranger Things, go watch Stranger Things. Also, if, um, you're, if you're sensitive to horror, you you, oh, may, yeah. you, you may not want to. Um, yeah. If that's not your <laughs> thing, that's case, fine. Feel free no. to listen to you know what we say. You won't know what we're talking about half the time, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, true too. It, yeah. it, it it's a little bit dark. I would argue it's more like horror light than it is like there are there are horror elements in the show because there's yeah. a lot of like. It balances it well with like humor and stuff like that. Megan, what were you saying about like Williamsian aspects to- Oh Spanish? yeah. One of the things, just the idea of um, of Vecna slash Henry slash one as a type of Wentworth figure almost, obviously in a more fantastical and supernatural sense because he's a mm -hmm. dark wizard or whatever and Wentworth is not. Just the idea that Vecna basically refuses to participate in the community of humanity. Like he, which is also kind of, it's a, it's a pretty standard dark wizard trope anyway to be like, I am above everybody else. You all are terrible and worthless and you just deserve yeah. to die and all, all of that stuff. But- for me, it sort of hit those Williams notes of this idea of self-isolating. He's like, I'm different. Therefore, I'm I'm going to go live in my own little world. I thought about the line from Descent into Hell in that great chapter where he basically lays out his entire substitutionary love framework and 
because Pauline asks, you know, do you think I can basically push my burdens onto other people? And Stanhope replies with a great line that says, not if you insist on making a universe for yourself. And I, that line's always stuck in my mind. It's amazing because he's illustrating that too, by what Wentworth is doing in the novel. He's making a universe yeah. for himself. He's got fake Adela, you know, and all of that. For me, when I see, you know, a, a big bad, like Vecna being like, I'm going to remake this entire world in my image, basically, is what he wants. He's he's trying to get the upside down to take over Hawkins, you know, first Hawkins and then the world kind of thing. And so for me, that's that kind of evokes that idea of, I don't want anybody else living in this world that I'm making. I want it all to look like me and just be for me. And I don't care about living in a society <laughs> of, yeah. of people right. who are actors that are acting upon each other, you know, carrying burdens and all of that. I was thinking, cause he was even doing it in the, you know, in the flashback about him as a boy, he was even then isolating. Like he found the spiders in the floorboards. He was like, I just want to be a predator. So even before he gets, you know, defeated quote unquote by 11 and, and sent into the upside down, he's, he's already showing those tendencies of, of self-isolation. Um, and that ultimately is his downfall as it is for Wentworth as well. Yeah. So that that was kind of the main thing that stuck out to me. The other thing that's that was very Williamsian was just is just the idea of the upside down itself. Now, to be fair, the, I don't know if the Duffer brothers even know who Charles Williams is. They clearly know who Tolkien is and probably C.S. Lewis, but I don't know if they know who Charles Williams is. But and they're they're more influenced. The more obvious influence for the upside down is the there's a concept in D and D of the underdark, and so that's kind of where they where they got that. The underdark is where all of the you know super super evil, <laughs> you know, and nasty things like mind flayers live and stuff like that. So, so that's that's the obvious influence. But for me, it was just the it was less the idea of like oh there's a secret you know evil realm out there that wants to take over and destroy us all. But more just the idea of there being a another deeper reality that underlies yes. the one that we see, and that at any point real reality could break through into ours. Because mm -hmm. yeah. basically, all that's basically sums up Charles Williams' novels in a nutshell. Oh, look, the reality capital R broke through into our world either through right. a magical object or just people. I mean, that's <laughs> the place of the lion too. Yeah. Of the true things are becoming even more real and. Yeah breaking in yes yeah. yeah 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 so while like the parallels aren't perfect because Williams is obviously referencing like a divine reality the upside down is very clearly just oh no we have to stop this from breaking through because it will destroy us all you know this other reality that affects us even if we don't because so many people only only a few people in the show know it even exists the uh the un, uh, upside down and so like all of these people in Hawkins are getting affected by it even though they have no clue that yeah. it, it exists yes yeah. So as like a, as a charismatic evangelical, I was really surprised this season of Stranger Things with how much the correspondence of actions people took and the ways it opened them to mm -hmm. the upside down, right? And that spiritual, that corresponding reality mm -hmm. of experiencing trauma mm -hmm. and then having openness to the darkness, right? Like that wounding being a, a bridge to being exploited by dark forces that's so like something we're actually taught and trained in in healing prayer and deliverance ministries mm -hmm. of these are wounds that need healing in order to break off demonic forces to sorry for those who are are not woo woo in their spirituality <laughs> but like that to me was actually really astonishing and helpful in the same way like i don't know watching harry potter i remember praying for someone and finding like 
the image of the Patronus really helpful. There is something real that happens when we are in despair. There is something real that happens when we are feeling hopeless. There is something real that happens when we listen to voices and Vecna's voice, especially of you are no good, yep. of you did this thing and you can never be forgiven. I'm like, oh, like that's yeah. that's straight up Satan. Like that's the accuser, yeah. Yeah, right? right. Uh, yeah. So it's really interesting to see this materialistic portrayal, but that's acknowledging this other reality and the openness of our souls to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's good. Vecna reminds me of Satan in yeah. Paradise Lost. The kind of fall and finding himself king of a new realm that's, you know, kind of an abyss and then molding everything to sort of, yes. you know, his, uh, the, and, and even finding himself transformed. It's, it's a very interesting parallel. And it also picks up, I, I, I mean, I think it's interesting how inspired by D&D it is, which is in turn mm-hmm. inspired by Tolkien, particularly the part of Tolkien, you know, that have danger, right? And and therefore deal with dark forces, right? Um, that's especially the case in Mordor and with orcs and things like that. The sort of idea of the realm that people don't want to see is the realm that they also don't really want to acknowledge is there because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in Christian theology, the devil's not supposed to be able to make stuff. Right. Because we believe that material, for the most part, is good. And the only way in which it becomes bad is when it becomes less the thing that it was meant made to be. Right. right? And the thing that right. was meant, that's like Corruption. Augustinian yeah. idea yeah. of sin and, and stuff like that. Tolkien tries to reconcile that with his Middle Earth with varying degrees of success. Right. He still has Mordor where like there's nothing good in Mordor. The enemy has managed to corrupt this whole realm. You know, the hobbits need to go there. But there's this like kind of dangerous darkness that you know almost his mythos needs right or that needs to be defeated i don't know it's it's interesting how that tracks both with the kind of D adaptations you know where we're like there are there's negative creation right there there yeah. are things that are intrinsically evil because we need to be able to swing our swords at things and kill it without feeling bad right, right. um and but but that's also an element in um, these more kind of dramatic strands of Christianity, right? It's it's this fight of good against evil, of absolute good mm-hmm. against absolute evil, and we're flawed, but we're on the side of good, and we're fighting against those evil demons or or whatever else. It's made me think, and and Tolkien also makes me think about the the ways that we picture evil. Do we need evil? in order to feel mm-hmm. like we are accomplishing something, you know, in, in this sort of grand epic kind of way. Such an interesting question. Do we need evil? I don't know that I've ever heard anybody phrase it that, that way. I mean, I don't think, like, theologically, I don't think we do need, obviously, we'll, well right. we'll go to heaven <laughs> right. and there'll be no evil and everything else. But I just mean, like, currently, psychologically, yeah. it seems to be something that we need. I mean, if, if we're talking about, like, like you said, sort of Hollywood dramatizations of good versus evil, um, especially in the fantasy realm, but also I mentioned before we started recording like Frank Peretti's like piercing the darkness in this present darkness yes. <laughs> or pretty, pretty much any of his <laughs> books like the, I, the visitation the oath mm-hmm. that's the, the oath is the one with the dragon in it yeah but yeah like all of these like or even I guess more recently like stuff by like Ted Decker or something it's, it's very much like even even people who are writing from a Christian perspective they're like here's a gospel message for you in this book or whatever which it's been a while since I've read any of Frank Peretti's 
So I, <laughs> I don't know all of the details of what is or isn't in there, but basically it's like, yes, he's, you know, you have, it's almost like a need to set up this. It is kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say wish fulfillment, but kind of, there's like a sort of an element yeah. of that of like, we do want to be these heroic people and we want to fight against the, the forces of darkness. And so we're going to try to our best to like personify that in a way. Mm-hmm. Again, not, not that I'm saying like, I'm not one of those people that's like, I think that Satan is a metaphor, you know? Like, I, I do, I do think that there is a reality to the demonic and, and Satan and, and all of that. It's just, I think what we're talking about is like a kind of an over dramatization or like, are we giving too much pride of place to Satan and, and the demons and how much power they have or don't have, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, which is, it's so interesting because like, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and then spent a decade in DC and it's just so, it's so materialistic and not in the consumerist, but like in the only what you can yeah. take in with your senses is, is what's real. Right. Right. And all this spiritual stuff was woo woo. And if it works, that's <laughs> fine. But we talk about it in vague things like, Hey, the universe delivered something to me. I'm spiritual and that I have this sense that life has meaning, but I don't really think too much about it. And so to pursue personify evil and to take that there's something seriously broken and people talk about a spirit of cancer or a spirit of despair. I mean, honestly, it just in my own walk with God, it's really helpful to be like, there is someone who wants to destroy me. He is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to to kill and steal and destroy. And he is looking at me personally the the way like Vecna does right mm-hmm. the, the even the the ring wraiths or the again going to J.K. Rowling which so derivative of Lewis and Tolkien but still very helpful with oh my gosh now I'm gonna forget their names the little black dudes that are ring wraithy oh, uh, the, the dementors the dementors thank yeah. you yes 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 this is what it's like to be chased down by fear and despair mm-hmm. right yeah. this is what it's yeah. like to be to be tempted or to have the accuser in your ear. Like there is a spirit that is attacking you personally. And to acknowledge that is actually helpful in fighting and turning and saying, you know, get behind me, Satan, or, or turning up your music. And the, the use of music in stranger things was Mm -hmm. such a delight to me. And I, I saw people who were like, "Ah, isn't that kind of lame you know like she can just turn on this pop song and suddenly she's protected from Vecna and he can't get at her and isn't that really like a letdown like I don't believe it I I think it's kind of a cop-out but like oh yay if we just clap and like are with our friends we're okay and it's like no the thing that resonates so strongly with that like this is also in Everywhere in Tolkien, the power of mm-hmm. song and, and the power of in the goblin singing with, uh, and friendship. With Curdy. Yes, with Curdy with Curdy. and the goblins. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's how you make the goblins go away. Is you you that's sing right. a song, you make up a song. <laughs> I was thinking well, too because it's more ridicule, but yeah, yeah. music's even in like Lewis and in yes. and, and in William. I mean, like Aslan yes. sings Narnia into being in Williams. I think particularly in War in Heaven, there's like a whole passage about hearing that yes. music and like how powerful it is because it's like that's the thing I'm so glad you brought music up because even like yes the show even in seasons one through three has always used music very well but the season four is where you've actually got this idea that there is like a a strong protection healing aspect yes healing and protection aspect like music yes obviously not all music 
has similar effects on people, you know, but, mm-hmm. but listening to it, like, I, I know for me personally, like li- putting on music that real that I really connect with, um, like if I'm in a bad spot or something, putting on a song or a piece of classical music or, or anything like that, that I know, like can really get deep into my brain and my soul even is powerful um, in a way that talking to people about things is yes, helpful. Obviously I'm going into counseling. So I hope that that people understand that talk therapy is helpful, but there's just something primal about music. And I think that, I mean, which is an idea that is in Tolkien and, and Lewis because both of their creation stories involve music. And so it's very, it's very creative. It's very orderly. There's an order to music. If you have chaos in music, then it's not, it's not music anymore. You've, you've lost all sense of rhythm and chord progression and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, I'm glad you brought up music because it's all over the Inklings. It's all over yeah. the Stranger Things. It's, <laughs> and so, yeah, I agree with you. Like people who are saying, oh, it's kind of lame and it's like a cop out. Oh, I wanted a more complex solution to that problem. It's like, but that's not a, a simple solution. It's the right one for, for this character, especially for yes. Max, because she's going through trauma. <laughs> She's, she's experienced trauma um, from losing Billy. And even though like they didn't, they didn't have the best relationship, but it was still traumatic. And so music is a, is a huge part of healing from emotional and like spiritual trauma. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I a hundred percent, I was on board with that. I was like, yes, (laughs) thank you for putting, I loved that episode. (laughs) I mean, it's also, it's also a song about making a deal with God to get him to swap swap our places, places, right? Which, which is. It speaks to her situation. Uh, yeah. yeah. She wishes is... she could have swapped places with yeah. Billy. Yeah. 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 And also just the whole, because in, in that episode also her, she's vulnerable to Vecna. And so are all of the other people who are vulnerable to Vecna specifically because he, I think he even, he even has a line where he tells her like, you know, you shut yourself off from yeah. everybody else. That's why you are vulnerable yeah. to me, which yeah. again plays into the very Wentworthy and kind of make your own universe sort of thing. Like if you, you cannot, we as humans, just in general, cannot exist without forming bonds. Like we are made to form bonds with other people, whether that's, I mean, not just romantic, but friendships and and familial relationships and that kind of thing. Like if you don't, then you will perish. Like that's, that's the whole point. And which is why Vecna will ultimately lose in season five, whatever, however that works out. Yes, the music helps her, but the music also triggers memories for the times that she spent in the past with her friends, like realizing, oh my goodness, these people were here for me and I have closed myself off from them. Like, and I don't want to do that anymore. So I am now going to run to them. And that's what mm-hmm. she does. And so that's yeah. why, I just, that's why that scene is so powerful. Cause it's like that realization yeah. of, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot handle this or process this trauma myself. I have to process it in community. And so she goes to find her, her community. And that's that same recall that's at work in Tolkien when Sam is singing mm-hmm. in Mordor and he's singing about Baron Luthien and Frodo mm-hmm. hears him and is is saved. Like they are they are connected, they are saved. The power, the fact that Tolkien uses songs so much in battle. I mean, even the Silmarillion, I think Feanor, someone sings before going up against Sauron, right? Like they're it's part of battle songs going back to the Nordic sagas and the Eddas, singing is its own magic. Like the the word for spell for spell casting going back to also D&D is the, is the same for for singing 
right? And mm -hmm. singing forth, pronouncing you are singing, you are calling into this other realm mm -hmm. by the act of your, your physical and creative choice mm -hmm. to do this thing. And I, I love that it's so present in the show. And I, I feel like that's also another, another sort of recall in a really surprising way in a materialistic, technocratic thing. And that where the plot lines seem to fall short for me, like some of the stuff with, with Hopper. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the crazy <laughs> Russia stuff. Uh, <laughs> Listen, every, every time they cut back to Russia, I would be like, oh, man, <laughs> I was really into the kids. What's happening to Steve? He's my favorite. <laughs> Go back to Steve. Well, and adults like, are oh. not as cute. No, they're as, not. Uh, they're really not. Kids. They're, but oh, no, okay. I was actually talking to my roommate about that. It's like every time they would they would like cut to a shot of like a plane or the snow. I'd, yep. it, would, it was kind of jarring. I'd be like, wait, wait, what is yeah. this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Russia. That's happening. No, it's funny, actually, because my wife, at least, when we were watching it, at first we were kind of put off by that. But by the end, that was one of her favorite parts. And it was the part that paid off, um, yeah. partly because it said so much about what it means to be a hero. And I think all mm. three parts did to a degree. But I think you get example after example after example in the Russia arc of people who probably shouldn't be heroes mm -hmm. and find some sort of heroism, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, and are inspired to risk their life for, you know, something greater than themselves, whether it's Mother Russia or whether it's something else. That was kind of a neat aspect of that. Yeah, it definitely, the Russia stuff picked up for me, like once Joyce and Murray got there. Yeah. yeah. It was stuff, it was all the stuff leading up to it that I was like, oh, more Russia stuff. But then like, <laughs> once we got, once we got so the part, cold. I know, basically, you're like, oh good, another scene about how it's cold and, and the food is terrible. Okay. And also some occasional torture by the KJB. Okay. <laughs> KGB. But yeah, no, I, so I felt the same way, but, but I do agree that like they tied it in very well. And also, I don't know if you were aware of this, but that there's an Easter egg in there. The sword that he picks up to kill the Demigorgon with is from Conan. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. Right, right. Kevin Sorbo? <laughs> no, no, no. That's her. He was Hercules. Um, okay. Conan, oh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, okay. but but Conan, but Conan the Barbarian was Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. So that was his okay. apparently his sword that they threw in there. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. Lots of eighties references. Yeah. <laughs> What else did the show have to say about what it takes to be a hero and how does that gel with different things and I don't know, either Tolkien or Lewis or whatever else? So are we going to talk about Eddie? Percy, this is from you. Yeah, let's talk about Eddie. Oh, As we talk about heroes. And we're not heroes, right? Like the, like, look at us. We are yeah, not the heroes. We are not heroes. Yeah. And he's, he's going in, he begins as, I mean, he begins as someone who, I hated him, like the first couple episodes. I don't know about all y'all. I also tend to judge drug dealers though. So that's, oh, that's yeah. on me. I really enjoyed his arc. Yep. The fact that 
he begins, and again, we we realize there are lots of spoilers here, um, mm -hmm. that he has to see that first really terrible death. Mm -hmm. And you can tell he's so freaked out. But that that trauma is not limited to that single instance, but he also sees the second bridge, right? Mm -hmm. He sees the the guy who's coming out to, to murder him yep. from the basketball team. Also, Vecna gets him and he's he sees that same torture and terrible death and has is powerless, just mm -hmm. completely powerless. And so for him to then go into the darkness and not just be the, the distraction, but to have a chance to give his life and to have the self-sacrifice, I found it redemptive on the level of like Boromir at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. I know there are some who think his death was in vain on this podcast, so I think you should chime in and tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't quite understand. It's possible I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but I don't quite understand why he needed to die, why he went back through that crack. And Well, he, um, he didn't go back through. He never went, because Dustin had gone yes. through the crack. yes. And then he, Eddie had looked up to see Dustin and that's when he made the decision to yeah. protect Dustin, to lead the mm -hmm. bats away from the, I, I right. took it as he was worried that all the bats were going to fly through into yes. the real world and get Dustin. And he didn't want that because he has a bond oh. with Dustin. And so he's like, I'm going to lead these bats away from here. I'm going to be bait again, twice mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and keep them distracted so that they don't go through the hole. Right. Um, because he he cuts off also the the way yeah, back for the way out right yeah 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 it's possible i don't know it's possible they just didn't make that clear enough that there was still a threat from the bats once they'd gone back into the real world because i did not feel like dustin was still threatened after he'd made it through that crack and maybe mm. uh, I, mean, I mean isn't that the point of vecna's bridges is that stuff is breaking out into yeah conceptually Hawkins? conceptually but if it's like an actual present threat they would dramatize a little bit right like they they'd have like a bat like peeking through the hole or something like that and have any like <laughs> right it's uh I better go back there. You stay here, Dustin, or, or I better, you know, or, or like the bat like starts to fly through and Dustin like yanks it back. Eddie, Eddie. yanks it yeah. back. Right. Yeah. Um, I just didn't, I didn't quite like, I thought, I thought he was going back through to fight the bats because he didn't think they'd bought them enough time or something like mm -hmm. that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it could be that too. Cause I mean, yeah. they, at that point, I don't think that they knew they didn't know for sure. Oh, the other team, Nancy, yeah. Steve, and Robin are in the house fighting Vecna. I don't think they even knew that at that point. Right. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. like, to me makes it kind of like I, there was no sign to him that. But there couldn't have been. There right. There couldn't have been. Right. Well, it's. It, I mean, if you want to talk in terms of possibilities. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's what's actually yeah. possible i mean they could i mean like what I'm, what I'm saying is they could have dramatized it better so that his sacrifice was more clearly vital to the success yeah. of the mission you know because oh, it didn't feel vital to me here's the very tolkien tie-in when they send off frodo and sam to mordor everything they do to draw the eye of sauron away and they they don't know what's happened to frodo mm -hmm. they don't know if he's been captured right. they don't know anything because once you send them off they are cut off right, right. 
away from sight, Gandalf can't see, no one can see. Yep. And so every step you take from there on out is just on faith yep. that, okay, mm-hmm. I, I trust something's happening with this mission and my job mm. is doomed. Like I'm going to die, but I'm going to go march to the gate of Mordor and yeah. take my last stand because yeah. just like there is a chance right, that, that Frodo and Sam have made it, and I need to give them as much time as I possibly can. Yeah. Yep. Like that part where Frodo and Sam play Metallica on the... Which was so good. It was most metal ever, right? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so the whole time, this entire this entire season, I'm like, oh, now they're going for the heavy metal stuff with Uh uh, with the '80s, right? Like everything about the upside down suddenly looks like an album cover or something. But it looks like (laughs) the album cover of Meatloaf's "Bad Out of Hell." Wasn't that the Separate Ways remix at the end of the penultimate episode amazing? I don't know if I'm ready for the last episode, guys. I just, because at that point I was thinking, who's going to die? Everybody's going to die. They're all dead, you know? (laughs) And uh, it was very dramatic. So it's never a good sign in a show or a movie when they tell you every step of their plan. Yeah, um, right, right. But I thought what was really brilliant about this is, um, I mean, it, it doesn't work if, they telegraph everything that they're going to do to the audience and there are no surprises and then everything is pulled off perfect thing and everything goes well like that that just is that's not how you do a story but what they did that was really interesting was it did all work more or less according to plan there's a little hiccup with jason right which didn't you want to punch him in the face i mean i'm not like a violent person but like my roommate and i were talking about that we're just like i hate it it's a it's a trope and i recognize that it's a trope but i hate it every time in a movie or tv show where like a character comes in they're misunderstanding a a situation the other character knows what's going on and they're like hey no let me explain and guys no i'm not gonna listen to you and instead i'm gonna you know stop this from happening and i'm not gonna listen and it's like Stop it. Just just everybody sit down and have a conversation about like, let him explain what's going on. Like let's instead book, of making assumptions. Let's bookmark that because I think we need, we should talk about, we should talk about popular kids and, and yeah. <laughs> this movie. And we should also talk about satanic panic because satanic me, panic. Yes. Because to me, both things were a little bit overwrought, but I, yeah, I think, I think it's worth coming back to, but yeah, what they did was they, they made everything work. It still didn't work. 
right? Which mm -hmm. is which right. is really like everything did go according to plan except for that hiccup yeah. again. But like that didn't really affect it the wasn't outcome. It's just not all the stuff that yeah. they did wasn't enough, uh, which yeah. is really interesting. But I haven't ever I haven't seen that because because I was thinking the whole time, oh, it's totally not going to go to plan, but it went to plan. It just wasn't good enough, which was kind of cool. Uh, all right, popular kids. Let's talk about popular kids. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's talk about Jason, who we all wanted to punch. We all wanted to punch him. And uh, I felt like I wanted to punch him, but I also like recognized and was perhaps more resentful that I was being manipulated into wanting to punch him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because I, oh, I was... it's totally unfair. Yeah. There can be good football heroes, guys. Yeah. Like... Yeah. And there, <laughs> there are so many, what part of what they were doing is they're tapping into this eighties trope, right? Oh, yeah, Which absolutely. is the cool jock rich people, yeah. rich people. Yeah. Like in dirty dancing and Heather's and Goonies. And, and Goonies. It's this preppy type of guy, yep. you know, and they want the girl, but it's really the like loner loser guy who's got the real heart and they should get the girl isn't steve the repudiation of that right yes. and the redemption of it, which is why he's so great yes yeah. yeah he just has an amazing arc like from season yeah. one he is that kid yeah. where it's like i'm the popular dude i bully people but you still like him like yeah, he right. still has right. charisma and you're like oh right. i see his appeal yeah Whereas... well, because there is that point yeah. in that season where he realizes oh my gosh like actually that was a terrible thing of me to say mm -hmm. i'm gonna go apologize to nancy or to, to nancy and jonathan yeah. and that at that point is when the plot tries to eat him um yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and uh, and he survives, which is great. Well, I heard that they were planning on getting yeah, rid they, of him. They were going to kill him, him off, be, yeah. having him be a jerk, and then oh, he was yeah. just so he was so he was dang charismatic. So yeah, um, and, and they were like, then, "We got to keep him." Yeah, that they that they get put another twist in his in his kind of arc. But uh, oh, that's amazing. But yeah, yeah, they didn't do that with Jason. That's the kind of person that becomes popular. Is the kind of person who has charisma. Yes, is fun to be around. Yep. Right. Yes. So in yep. real life, Steve and all these kids, they would be popular. Yes. And yeah. Jason, who is not, he's charismatic as like a villain, right? Um, like, <laughs> you don't, you don't like hang out with that guy. Yeah. I, I don't. You know. don't want to join his team. I don't. I still think the movie that gets high school spot on correct is Napoleon Dynamite. Um, <laughs> yes. Because yeah. they nail they nail that the like snobby kids are are really just as unpopular as anybody else. They just think they're popular. They're honestly like kind of lame and stupid too. It's funny. There's this whole thing in the '80s about the popular kids versus the nerds versus mm, like yep. just the kind of kids who are in the middle. It yeah, like the, been... the the band geeks. You yeah, got... yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it was probably real in the '60s when the people who made those movies were kids. <laughs> it never rang true for me or most of the people that I knew that that they're and when it did, it was like that thing from Hollywood was being imposed on your high school experience, right? It's it's really odd. And and also like the thing in California when they're in, I was just gonna mention yeah that whole thing. Yeah. But, but like, yeah. because to an extent, like, yes, it is over-dramatized probably, but I think stereotypes are often based in truth. Bullying is a thing that happens mm -hmm. in high schools. Does it happen to that extent? Do the best, does the basketball team whip the town into a frenzy in a, in a satanic panic kind of uh, 
inspired speech? Not necessarily, no. Maybe they do if lots of people have been murdered horrifically in your town. That's yeah. um, it's like it's like there is an element of truth present that there is, yes at least maybe back yes back in the 80s 90s maybe the uncool kids or the weirdos you know or the outcasts there was an element of that like oh i don't fit in with these people and they treat me differently because i don't fit in like it works in context of the show because the show is set in the 80s and i think like now i would have more of a problem with like a modern day show set now pulling out those kinds of tropes because i think we are i don't know i don't work in a high school or a middle school so i'm not you know i don't have like boots on the ground experience here but I, I would question whether those specific, st- especially not the stereotype of, oh no, those weird nerds over there play D&D. They're weird and we're going to ostracize them because right. now D&D is super popular. So you don't have that element of it. But I think to your point, I agree that it is like over dramatized, but it also it's a TV show. So yeah. they kind of, they that's kind of what they do. Yeah, yeah. They make 80s pop culture into 80s reality, right? I still think 80s pop culture, it's mostly John Hughes drawing on his, like, life as a high school reject or whatever (laughs) happened to him in the 60s. I don't know. It must have been bad. Um, (laughs) um, Poor John Hughes. Yeah. And a little Um, bit of Spielberg. I mean, I feel like there's so many Spielberg callbacks in Stranger Mm -hmm. Things, but that's more of a nostalgic, like, really sweet stuff in the underdog and less focus on the bull except as like feckless villains right like like in Goonies they're the guys who end up being tricked by everyone and pulling Mm -hmm. up the the bucket instead of pulling up Andy right Mm -hmm. yeah is there any equivalent of evil popular people in any of the Inklings works that you can think of um the beginning of the silver chair that's is it Jill Jill's the one getting bullied right that's right Mm -hmm. yeah they're talking about the the popular experiment house yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they didn't seem like popular girls. They just seemed like really mean <laughs> British kids. But, but Lewis, is, which is a whole stereotype unto itself, yeah. right? Right, right. Lewis's drawing on his experience, though, his horrific experiences <laughs> at boarding school. <laughs> for that. So there were yeah. definitely like the popular kids who yeah. were good at sports, and you know, yeah. the adults mostly were like, "Why aren't you like them? Because they're really <laughs> team players and they're great at sports." And, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. Lewis yeah. th- wrote this whole epic called Loki Unbound about, uh, uh, and, and it doesn't survive, but it was about like, you know, Loki standing up to Thor and evil popular mm, yeah. people like that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do feel like that hideous strength is really, is a good callback in that there are these people who tell you they're doing everything for the right reasons. They're, yeah. they're the technocrats and the experts in the same way, it's always like, oh, it's this government program, and mm-hmm. it turns out the government is trying to kill L or kill mm-hmm. people in Hawkins who know what's going on, but who, because of their their own knowledge and their own authority, think that they then have the right to rule and to kill with impunity and control. And that feels very the experiments, everything about Elle's life before she escapes seems very NICE-ish. And yeah, that's- all the Rainbow Room stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 And, and Papa, mm-hmm. man, Papa. 
Yeah. Take it from us too soon. <laughs> oh, oh man. He is a complex character, guys. He is. He is. Um, it's hard. It's, it really is hard to get a read on him, which obviously it's, yeah. I'm sure, intentional on the Duffer Brothers part. But yeah, it's because it's like there are moments where you go, oh, he is very fatherly toward Elle. And he, okay, he does care about her. He wants what's best for her. That's what he's saying. And then there are other times where you go, what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Why are you mistreating? her I, I think what it is it's like I don't agree with your definition of what's best for Ellie part of his own hubris is that he thinks I'm the man of science I which again is where you get the nice the NICE parallels it's like I'm a man of science so I've I'm gonna figure this out even though this you're you're exhibiting these powers that I we actually really don't understand but we're gonna study you and we're gonna learn how to turn you into a weapon basically but that's for your own good trust me you know and it's like I don't know that I agree with that and it takes it takes her escaping and meeting like yeah. Mike and, and the rest of the kids to realize oh actually this relationship that I just left with this man is not healthy yeah <laughs> yeah no. It's, it's yeah. definitely not healthy. I think what makes him slightly more sympathetic and more complex than the NICE is that it comes, at least in his case, it seems like from a sense of urgency mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that the world is doomed if I don't mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like, yes, this is a little girl and yes, I am not treating her the way a child should be treated. But according to his calculus, if he doesn't, yeah. the world will end, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. with the NICE, they're just like, this is just the way things are going. We need to keep up with progress and do things, you know, in, in well, I mean, the next uh, so wasn't, blah, blah, blah. Uh, wasn't the NICE also driven by the same fake, but very <laughs> present in the mind of intellectual elites in the mid 20th century of like, yeah. Population, yep. we're going to run out of resources. Mm. We need science to tell us how to manage our society in order to prevent total collapse and chaos. Mm. And I think that hubris comes out for Papa. I mean, the fact that Papa, that he ran this program with these little children, that he kept one on after like this person tried to kill people and thought, said, No, I know how to control. I have this mechanism. I have this way of doing things. I know how to limit and I am smart enough and good enough on my own to manage mm -hmm. this human being or manage this evil or to, to capture it. And then is overwhelmed by the supernatural forces and the evil unleashed. Mm -hmm. um, and that feels very NICE, like, like the, the expertise that is just completely destroyed by forces that were too dark for it, that it didn't know what it was messing with. I mean, he's kind of a Denethor figure, right? Except mm. instead of completely despairing, mm. he just is like, well, maybe if I do this some more, it will save us, you know, this this mm. horrible thing. Mm. He's interesting. I, I appreciated that it made him more complex without necessarily yes. just making him into a good guy. Or redemptive, right, yeah. right. I was, I was kind of afraid that's where they were gonna go with it. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you. It would have made him entirely less interesting at that point. Cause that's because at that you're kind of expecting that you like you're almost i guess because we're primed to think that okay well this mm -hmm. guy seems like a bad guy but he yeah. it looks like he genuinely cares mm -hmm. about l and so maybe he'll he'll come over to the side of oh my gosh what's what's paul riser's character's name um <laughs> I, I just, just called I just, him Paul Reiser I, the whole I, time. I, I, all I see is Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser. The, the second yeah, he came yeah. on screen in season two, I was like, oh my goodness, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, 
also, hey, more Tolkien parallels. Sean Astin is in season two. So yeah, there you go. That's right. That's right. Oh, Bob, bless you, Bob. And Goonies. And yeah. Goonies. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but yeah, no. So I, I agree with you. I think if they had given him some kind of a super corny redemption arc, it would it would have lessened the impact of that of that character. So because part of I think the other reason that he's there is that I mean that whole death scene with him dying and then him basically begging at that point L to be like please tell me what I did was right you know forgive me and and she ref- she basically refuses to do that that that's part of her arc like and so to like again to realize no I recognize here that what I went through under you was traumatic it was trauma it altered me you think you're doing the right thing but you were not I've decided that you were actually not treating me the way that that I needed to be treated as a human being well and it was a lie right and she's not going to assent to his lie that it was all for her good everything I did I did for you no right Right. no no it wasn't yeah yeah it was actually for now you can put noble reasons on it like Chris said you know he realizes that there's a crack in the world he's gotta we gotta fix it you know there's something evil coming through Mm -hmm. um I know about Vecna I know all about that you know but here's the thing about that is that even though there is a line Vecna has a line at the end where he basically tells Elle no Papa didn't make me you did I, I I mean I mean Papa even before the whole stuff with one and and uh opening a gate to the upside down even before all that he was already like doing weird experiments on children like yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. what was it it was like government sanctioned like basically make assassins to go fight the Russians kind of thing you know I don't know um <laughs> So it's like he's already involved in some shady, sketchy, uh, morally gray stuff anyway. So it's not like it was a case of, I was a really great upstanding guy before Elle came along and then, you know, the world got torn asunder. And now because I have to fix the world, I'm going to have to do some things that like I actually don't want to do. You know, it's it's very clear that he is fine with taking the actions that he took. I think he still can sleep at night, basically. The show yeah. didn't give me the impression that he like was tormented by the fact that he had to do what he did to the children and all of that. So I'm glad that he did not get a redemption arc. <laughs> he did not need one. I thought it would have been interesting to have him have a redemption arc simply because his type so rarely gets one nowadays. It seems like mm. it seems like the, there is a kind of there's this trope of a oppressive patriarch, if you will, um, uh-huh. you know, who has had things run their way for too long and has taken liberties. And the end game is to shut them down. Right. And yeah. and, and they are pure evil and purely bad. Uh, and I thought what was interesting about this is they at least gave a little nuance to that and showed that like by his lights, he does have some sort of a moral framework where the ends justify these means. Obviously with like the particular things that he was actually doing in this show. No, you can't have somebody come back from that. That's not ever okay. Right. But in terms of his type and in terms of what he sort of represents, I think, especially in modern entertainment and and things I mean like calling that. him papa um, yeah, uh, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it would have been interesting to see how he or like other like typical that like Jason could mm-hmm. have had a arc that brings them back to what's good but you do have Steve and you do mm-hmm. have Hopper, Hopper. right I was and gonna Hopper say definitely I, a father Hopper's the stand-in yeah. yeah like it's the he's he's mm-hmm. almost the replacement Papa he's the image of what Papa should have been yeah. I mean minus the scientific madman genius you know or whatever but like because he does start out his arc is which which I thought was a brilliant scene in season four with him explaining the whole Vietnam backstory and Agent Orange and how that affected his daughter and losing his daughter he's coming out of this place of I had a daughter and I lost her and I feel like that's my fault because I 
shouldn't have even tried to have children because I knew that I got exposed to this agent orange. And, Indian and, and because I participated in this war crime. Right. I mean, yeah. right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. 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 And so he's dealing with all of that guilt. That's he turns into an alcoholic. Like, yes, he's the police chief in season one and season two and all of that. But like, he, but he's the alcoholic with yeah. a drug addiction. Yeah. And that's yes, with drug yeah, addiction. Yeah. <laughs> that's how he numbs that pain. Does he, he do drugs? That. I didn't realize. Yeah. I, Do you remember I, that in season one? That. Yeah, I forgot. I know he was popping pills. Yeah. He, oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think they they ever have a scene with him like contemplating suicide or anything like that. But I mean, he he was probably borderline at some point. But but that's how he has to numb the pain. And so, but then he comes to realize through meeting these, getting involved with these kids, having to go rescue Will out of the Upside Down, and just going through all of that, and then adopting Elle as his daughter. Because season yeah, season two is the one where he's super overprotective and will not let her leave the cabin, and they have fights about that. But that's his like, hey, it's not so much I'm a mean dad. It's hey, that's coming out of my place of trauma of like, I lost my daughter and I do not want to lose you too. So you are going to stay in these walls where you're going to be safe. He has to come to realize that no, Elle is not like a replacement for his daughter or anything. She's her own person and is honestly, is probably the only person who could stop what's going on um, with the upside down. And so, so that's like his arc. And and I think that's kind of meant to be a foil to Papa where like mm-hmm. Papa's very much like, I know what I'm doing. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Like I'm smart scientist, man. And yeah. And Hopper is like, I know nothing. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. This is all weird. So in like in a weird way, he has more, even though he's very like, you know, gung-ho and very active and brash. and Very macho. Yes, very macho. But in in a weird way, he has way more humility Mm -hmm. to recognize that he's in over his head and he just, he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And so I think that makes him a better father figure to Elle in the end, because he's, he's more open to being told, oh, I, I don't understand something and here's new information that I didn't have before. So now let's put all that together and solve this new problem that's come up, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think this also tracks with eighties movies where it's funny because like you have a kind of sense of who you sympathize with in the eighties movies in high school are the nerds, right? Are the experts, right? Who are getting picked on by guys who are probably a little bit like the way Hopper was when he was in high school. Right. But also in eighties movies, when you get to the adult world, it sort of flips, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the government figures are all sinister, yes, yeah, possibly always. former Nazis, you know, who, right, right, right. who you can't quite discern their motives, but you know they're a lot like or, Papa, right? Or they're just dumb and feckless. Like yeah, like yeah. in Goonies, it's the people who are like, okay, we need to like, get the kids back because they're out past their bedtime and we're, we are powerless to stop the development from coming in and taking our homes and we just got to go and whatever. It's, it's also the cluelessness of the adults mm-hmm. too, who think they yeah. know what's up. Yep. And so I like that Hopper's, Hopper's cluelessness is also yoked with his responsibility for everyone like he mm-hmm. takes responsibility mm-hmm. not just for l but for joyce yep. for the town mm-hmm. for everybody mm-hmm. to the point of like to the point of giving his life and yeah. saying yeah. i will take on all of this yeah right without knowing exactly what's up and what's going to happen and that's yeah. why it's really powerful Speaking of people who know what's up, should we talk about the satanic panic? Yes, yeah, because we know we it. absolutely should. <laughs> Let's talk yes. about it. What did you all make of that? Well, I, I thought, okay, in the first season, 
they addressed mm -hmm. this right at the very end mm -hmm. there's this goofy little part where they're like also are people getting into witchcraft and D, &D? Blah, blah, blah. you know it's this yeah. little like news yeah. teaser thing in many ways that rang more true for me that kind of goofy like yeah. oh man these weird extremists are you know getting all worked up about DD, blah 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 for how things actually were in the 80s then like an entire town getting scared yeah. and organizing a mob so that they could overcome evil with good by shooting people. it's it's totally the one aunt so in my family we had i literally have one aunt and because she got on a tear we were not allowed to watch scooby-doo or smurfs or uh -huh. like anything connected with ghosts or witches or and i i did grow up thinking D, &D was evil I, I will say that, but I, no. I also mm -hmm. was allowed to read Narnia, so I, I turned out fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was interesting because I think part of what they're trying to do is retcon the 80s and maybe mm. maybe I'm completely wrong and maybe their experience was exactly like this but my sense always was growing up in uh, in in rural Virginia uh, in the 80s and 90s my sense was it was the really weird Christians that yes. were freaked out by Scooby-Doo yep. and yeah. the Hobbits <laughs> And, you know, and, and like, okay, we would read at our Christian school, we would read like the secret garden and the Hobbit. And, and it was like the weird family who went to our school, who would make their kids yeah. sit out because yep. the, the back of the book mentioned magic. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were all kind of like, well, that's a little extreme. That's a little yeah. odd. You like know? Kid, yeah. kids who um, couldn't watch Disney movies because they involved witches. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. 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 I, I was so, not one of the children. So I definitely Anna watched one of those odd people. I, <laughs> I, I watched Disney movies, but I definitely knew of, of kids who were like, oh, no, I can't I can't watch that. That's, yeah, that's got yeah. witchcraft in it, you know, and so which confused me because I was like, even as a kid, I was like, but that's not real. Like, it's just a cartoon, yeah, but, right. you know, people will believe, you know, interesting things. I mean, I knew we knew, so I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I, I, I mm -hmm. um, got into the charismatic movement in high school, which is a whole other thing we can talk about, too. I remember the Pentecostal kids in growing up, like in a non-denominational Christian school, they were always the worst behaved kids. <laughs> 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 like I don't know why that was, but it, it 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 I don't know that that's the case anymore. But it was when I was growing up, and we freedom had this, in Christ, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess we had this friend who was awful. Like he was he was probably like nine or ten or something like that. But he talking, making objectifying remarks about women and like watching Beavis and Butthead and like all mm. these like. And then I remember one time like riding with him in the car, my brother and I, and he was like, you know, there are these kids that like get together and they play this game uh, and they actually like kill people when they mm -hmm. when they're pretending to like fight yep. these wizards and things like that and yep. i was like wow. oh that's that's weird and creepy <laughs> but i don't think i trust anything you say because you lie all the time <laughs> And I'm not saying he's representative of like all Pentecostal kids. I, I don't know that he ever like received the gifts of the spirit or anything like that. But he was, uh, I, I was like, yeah, I don't really believe you. <laughs> um, don't really but, believe uh, you. Yeah. 
yeah. I, I later got in, in the charismatic mood. I remember talking with some people and saying, like, you all really thought that, like, Smursh is bad? And, and you know, they're, they're, like, a little bit embarrassed by it. But, they, you know, some of them would double down. They'd be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't watch it. It was interesting because, to me, as someone who's, like, more, like, just kind of mainstream, low-church evangelical, looking at that world, I was always kind of like, well, they don't have a ton of influence. They're right. kind of fringy. But what Stranger Things did, which is really interesting, was Stranger Things made them like the mainstream of Hawkins. And and not only that, but they weren't overcoming evil with good by like doing odd little rituals and walking around, you know, the town and prayer. There were no shofars. Like that. There, there, no shofars. there was not a single shofar. That was their the problem. Uh, oh my goodness. And, uh, but instead, like, they got a bunch of guns. Uh, <laughs> we're like, we're, the police is- No charismatic would ever, 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 ever do that. That's, <laughs> that's just not, they love, they love the same. And I think, I think like, this is something that people do. It's why we have Stranger Things, right? This idea of like evil is out there and we can go and get it and we can fight against it, right? It gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of goodness. And it, it means that we're accomplishing something, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, yes. right? Like, yes. Th that... No one prayed on the full armor of God. Right? Oh yeah. No right. one. No one said like, "I resist you, Satan, and you have to get mm. behind me." No, like there was no "In Jesus' name, I command yeah. you." You're talking about yeah. in, in Stranger Things, right? Yes. yes. But but in the 80s and the 90s, it totally was right. And, oh yeah. And, and, yeah <laughs> in yeah. our churches, that was there. Yeah. I I wonder if the reason that they they didn't put explicitly Pentecostal stuff in the Stranger Things is to kind of avoid kind of avoid any kind of controversy about like oh my gosh you're like attacking the christians or whatever and yeah. it's like I don't, I don't know to me i think it's actually a fault of the it's still a fundamentally it still has to have that naturalistic like oh this happened because there's a super there's a human yeah a human boy with psychic powers Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because he's so intelligent. He's, he has these gifts, right? Yeah. They can do things with their minds, but it's humans doing it. There's never a spiritual force involved. And to, to have people actually say in Jesus name would actually mm -hmm. be a spiritual conflict. I mean, that would be a yeah. conflict I believe in and, yeah, and right. have seen and encountered right. with, but that would say, okay, this is now this is a demon and this is the power of Christ compels you. And this is the exorcist instead right. of this is, this is D &D. our <laughs> thing you set up. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of listeners that whose experience differs from mine and from ours and who are like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I will tell you mine, my, because I, I listed, I listed, um, maybe yeah. Yeah. Are either of you, y'all are familiar with adventures in Odyssey, right? The focus mm -hmm. on the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows yeah. Adventures in Odyssey. Well, everybody, meaning everybody who grew up in, in 80s and 90s evangelical Christian, you know, subculture. So my first, <laughs> we used to listen to Adventures in Odyssey. Like, I would come on the radio and we would, we would listen to it. So there was one time I distinctly remember listening to this one episode. It was called Castles and Cauldrons. Um, <laughs> obvious reference to D&D. &D. What? Um, <laughs> no, it's another thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just right, like no, the, they, yeah. they never call it Dungeons and Dragons. It is Castles and Cauldrons. That's right. Okay. That's right. Just like they never pray in the name of Jesus. And, uh, right. Never. <laughs> <laughs> totally not picking on the, you know, the Pentecostal Christians. But I, I remember listening to the episode as like, because this came out, the episode came out in 1990. So I would have been like, when I finally heard this, I was like four or five, you know, I was born in 87. So I was kind, I did not, I was more of a 90s kid, not an 80s kid, but 
So I remember hearing this episode and it's basically an entire episode about how this kid's cousin comes into town for a visit and he is like super, super into this like game called castles and cauldrons, you know? And so he gets the main character kid to play it with him, you know? And at first it seems like fun and innocent, you know, right. As all things do. It's like an MLM. Yeah, basically. He gets suckered in. So everything seems fine. You know, he's like, it's kind of fun. You know, you pretend to be like a wizard or whatever. And and so it keeps getting progressive and progressively like more intense, you know, until one night the cousin is like, we have to go out in the woods and we have to like do this thing because, you know, oh, it's just still pretend, you know, but we have to like sacrifice whatever God or demon we we were talking about in the game. And so at that point, so they're out camping in the woods and Mr. Whitaker, like <laughs> Mr. Whitaker, because, because he has Spidey sense or Holy Spirit sense. He's, he's like, oh master, my God. Right? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Whitaker is like sitting wherever he is that night. And it's kind of storming because of course it is. And he's like, oh no, I sense that there's something wrong that's happening in the woods and I must go stop it. And so he goes out into the woods and he rescues the child and, you know, stops the, the demon ritual from happening Ooh. because clearly it was a very real demon ritual that was going on, but it was part of the game. So Close that call. was to illustrate that you don't play these, these role-playing games because if you play role-playing games, you are actually summoning demons into the world. And so that was my first exposure to like the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. And so for a while I did think like, oh my gosh, I was a very impressionable child. <laughs> and very sensitive so I was just like people do that you know <laughs> and here I am in my 30s playing Dungeons and Dragons so <laughs> uh, Mr. Whitaker would not I know Mr. Whitaker would not approve <laughs> but hey I'm happy to report there's been no demon summoning um or anything anything of that nature so it's it's all been pretend so that was my, that was my exposure so I that's the thing is like it was a very real thing I can't speak to like the, the widespread of satanic panic i know there were like various news stories and stuff that came out mm-hmm. that supposedly attributed various murders and whatnot to dungeons, oh, and, yeah. people dungeons and dragons like my roommate lets to watch a lot of crime shows to uh, true crime shows and so every so often you'll find an episode and they'll be like and so and so played dungeons and dragons and you're like oh <laughs> is he the murderer and it turns out no <laughs> yeah not. so like so it was very real and it, i think it was just because that's the thing it wasn't just limited to Dungeons and Dragons I think a lot of people who play Dungeons and Dragons maybe the Duffer I mean I know the Duffer brothers know that it was it went beyond just Dungeons and Dragons but I think Dungeons and Dragons just happened to be the boogeyman at the right time for most people to latch on to but it was also very much about like rock music was terrible various Mm. movies and such were made about how Christians shouldn't listen to rock music because it's a tool of Satan that will lead to sex drugs and possibly turn you gay or something. I don't, I don't know. And, and also just general mistrust of anything. Like there's a, there was a movie quote unquote of basically just two guys sitting in chairs. It's called um, deception of a generation comes. It came out in 1984. It's two guys sitting in chairs and they basically just talk for like an hour about how every single piece of children's programming from the eighties is a horrible satanic conspiracy to like warp the minds of our children and I'm talking yeah, like every, yeah. not just like the obvious stuff, like, oh yeah, yeah. no, that is kind of scary. Yeah. Like My yeah. Little Pony, He-Man, Transformers, uh, you know, like all, all those 80s toy selling vehicles. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's, um, like, it's, yeah. like a, it's like critical theory, but the Christian inversion applied yeah. to pop culture, right? Like, yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. like everything is terrible. There's, there's a, Satan is lurking behind every corner. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop him because he can use anything 
to corrupt our children, you yeah. know, and that's what he's coming for. And it's just always, it was always interesting to me that it was pop culture. Right. I don't know. Like it's the rock music. It's the, not even just rock music. Like, again, it was rock music, but like, of course, not just the obvious stuff. Like, oh, well, clearly they're talking about like heavy metal or whatever. It's no, like also yeah. Amy Grant. Yes. Yeah. Amy yeah. Grant. Yeah, yeah. Right. Also, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if you noticed dream a little dream of me had a real oh, yeah. role. Oh, yeah. 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 Dream a little dream of me. So maybe if they hadn't gotten seduced by old-timey radio, uh, Vecna would never have become Vecna. I do have to mention, of course, the most famous example of Satanic Panic, which is the Jack Chick track, Dark Dungeon. Yes. So metal. I can't. We cannot. We cannot let that go without mentioning Jack Chick. So a group of nerdy filmmakers got like actually acquired the rights to that track and made a movie. Like, but they're they're like sympathetic. They're like they love they play D and D or whatever. But they made a movie dramatizing the Chick track. Like exactly. Like I think it came out in like 2014 or something. It's amazing. Yes, it's about D- how D and D's evil. And if you play D and D, you're actually getting sucked into a satanic cult. You'll learn how to cast like real magic or whatever. But the part of it that always gets me is the part near the end where um the main character who's still alive she's like in church she's sitting in church she's like oh my goodness like my life's a mess you know i need to figure this out because i need jesus to fix all this and there's like one of the panels in the track there's like a little sidebar because the pastor is up there talking about how like you need to gather up all of your rock music and your and your D books and your occult paraphernalia and like burn it and there's a little sidebar with a little asterisk and it, it specifically says including the works of c.s lewis and j.r.r tolkien because oh, they can be found oh, in a cult stores. Yes. <laughs> it's in there and i it just drives me up a wall every time i'm like because c.s the works of c.s lewis and j.r.r tolkien can be found in a cult bookstores and therefore we need to burn them as well those you don't notice, count. You notice <laughs> he didn't say Charles Williams. You didn't say, I know. Yeah, here's the thing. Jack Chick doesn't know who Charles Williams is. No one knows who Charles Williams is. I'm sorry, Charles Williams. I'm sure Jack Chick would have approved of Charles Williams. Oh, no, Williams. he would not have approved of Charles <laughs> If he has a problem with Lewis and Tolkien, he definitely doesn't approve of If Williams. there's anyone occult. Yeah, right. Yeah. Probably would if he knew who Owen Barfield was, he'd have problems with him, too. What? No. <laughs> uh yeah, it's it's such a it's such a it's such a funny um you know, American Christianity is 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 interesting and it has great aspects and not so great aspects. One thing that the inklings were doing that can kind of resist some of that sort of weirdness is that they were drawing on a ton of tradition and tradition is yeah. capacious, right? Tradition has a kind of grace for the quirks and oddities and different giftings and interests of human beings and asks how can this be drawn toward what is good right um, and, and i think very often much as there's a lot of good and i think the i think the inklings recognize this there's a lot of good in american evangelical church traditions one possible problem with cutting oneself off from kind of the broader history of of the church and and things like that is is you begin to say oh this particular way of interpreting our faith and of looking at things is normative and always mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. for the 2000 years that you know that we've had christianity um, mm-hmm. and that can lead to yeah that can lead to you being against the works of c.s lewis and J.R.R. tolkien and banning the smurfs and <laughs> yes. uh, 
all sorts of things like that you know horse uh, smurfs <laughs> i think i think though on the other side of that i'm not quite sure how to say this but there were people who were involved in satanic cults in the 80s yes. right and who were sacrificing stuff in the 80s and i know because like in some of the charismatic groups in the early 2000s that i was hanging out with i knew former devil worshipers yeah. who would do yeah. stuff you know and, and and i would meet and they would often be incredibly like they were like eddie munson they were like oh, i you know i didn't fit in anywhere this was a group that would take me and and they had weird experiences you know and 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 a lot of you know and i'd even i i i was listening to a um podcast it's not a christian podcast it's like i think it was monster talk or something like that but they talked to you know they interviewed somebody about the satanic panic and he's like well yeah like there were more cults in the 80s and part of the draw of it was like you're doing something countercultural right you're you're sticking it to these like fuddy-duddy old fundamentalist types you know it's not that like there's any kind of necessary link between like D, which as far as i could tell is just a fantasy game and and devil worship or whatever else but there were people who what's what's the circle called the graph the, that, like, Venn diagram yeah yeah the venn diagram it can overlap sometimes right um yeah. and 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 P, and bands did get a certain amount of like cool guy capital out of offending and opposing the right sort of people right the conservative right. Yeah. Dorky oh, yeah. Christians, and and they themselves, of course, were also dorky. Yeah. So so yeah, I don't. Sometimes now the sort of revision of that aspect mm-hmm. of of that whole thing can get on my nerves a bit because it's kind of like, yeah. oh, look at those Christians; they were just overreacting, mm-hmm. uh, and this is totally all made up just to justify mm-hmm. them like going out with guns and rounding people up or something like that. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not really. I mean, maybe that's maybe that was what happened to some people and maybe you know our show is so widespread that i'm sure you know some listener out there has had the experience of getting getting together with the local militia to uh <laughs> yes. set up a uh oh, but yeah for the most part not so much and it's not just kind of made up from nothing like there were right. granted like overreaction produces overreaction right and there were some like fairly dramatic weird types within the charismatic church and also the evangelical movement and and Mm -hmm. you know obviously like christianity is a home for everybody right and and we got to take the weird ones too but yeah um. i think i think there's also misdirection too right like here's dnd and it's this pretty innocuous game for for kids and for people who you know keep playing into their adulthood we welcome you and, and, I, and I, I started playing in my adulthood so yes, yes. um i i know a very accomplished uh, federal judge who who is a nice. um can you tell so, us who it is yes. can you i tell cannot us who it is? <laughs> i sure as heck cannot um yeah so D fairly innocuous but like chris as you're talking about this like i'm remembering and this wasn't growing up this was in seattle like there was a wiccan bookstore on the same street as our church in downtown seattle and there was a coven that met in that bookstore and they hexed our church and like weirdly found people involved in our prayer ministry and would found, found where they lived chanted outside their windows at like two in the morning like just doing weird really weird and, and i i think demonic actual rituals right Mm. they're like the weirdo fringe part and then there's also that misdirection that okay it's this thing over here that actually isn't anything and 
and then undermines any credibility you have when something real happens. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, oh no, well that's, you're just like crazy aunt so-and-so who didn't want me to watch the Smurfs. Yeah. Um, no. Instead no. of like, oh, you're serious believer who just had this really weird encounter right. and like let's talk about that and pray about it and actually go at it with yeah. the tools we've been given and not with a panic yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. even even as someone who is a christian it's easy for me to fall into that like oh why does everybody overreact to all of right. this like, this is clearly not satanic y'all like it's mm -hmm. not rock music is not satanic i have not been yep. possessed by satan i have not summoned any demons like um, to my knowledge <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. I'm, and it's it's easy for me to fall into that and but neglect because again I do like I said before I do believe in a real there's a spiritual reality outside of myself that involves forces for good and forces for evil uh, what that actually looks like and how that plays out is yeah. speculation the bible does not go into the huge right. details about how spiritual warfare works necessarily yeah. there's not a manual for yeah. like Here's, how, here's what you right. do. Here's the ritual you do to stop the demons, you know. Um, I mean, there's for Catholics, but yeah. Well, that's, a little <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Catholic. No. So. <laughs> I'm almost Catholic. <laughs> no, no. I get frustrated with the, the fundy, quote unquote, you know, Christians who do freak out about everything. It's like, oh my gosh, Satan's in the Disney movies. Satan's in right. the Harry Potter. Satan's in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's like, right, right, stop. Right. Even though you think you're being super spiritual and hyper aware of the spiritual yeah. realities, what you're actually doing is diminishing those in the minds of everybody yeah. else. Because yeah, then, yes. they, yeah, like you said, Annika, like when you have people who go, okay, those weirdies over there, there's weirdos over there. They say like Satan's in Dungeons and Dragons, but I play Dungeons and Dragons and I haven't been possessed by a demon. So clearly they don't know what they're talking about. That just destroys all <laughs> credibility. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes those people less likely to take you seriously. If, like you said, in fact, there is like a, a situation that comes up that is re very real and, you know, a real confrontation between good and evil. And so, yeah, I, I think that's why I get, I get so frustrated with with that sort of like satanic panic, even though it's clearly lessened now, like you don't have people running around. Right. I mean, most people don't run around going Satan's and Dungeons and Dragons, you know, yeah. um, you might still have some people who do. I, I don't know. <laughs> As a Christian, I do take seriously those spiritual realities and the movements of God, his angels, the Holy Spirit, you know, all of that. And that there is a there is a war being fought that we can't always see. And so rather than focusing on, yeah, on that, we're worried about whether or not, you know, we saw the shadow of a demon underneath a Harry Potter book or something, you know, yeah, like... Yeah. It's just super frustrating. And so it's, and it's, and it is very easy to kind of, you know, fall into the trap of let's make fun of those weird, like Christians over there. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that that person couldn't watch Disney movies when they were <laughs> growing up, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like no offense, Annika. <laughs> I know you couldn't watch Disney movies growing up <laughs> or the Smurfs. It was the Smurfs you couldn't watch or could you watch Disney movies too? I uh, there was a time period when I couldn't watch Disney movies and then we all got over it oh, at okay. some point okay. and then it was okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It was like that with, me yeah. with Harry Potter as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. When Harry have, Potter have I... first came out, it was super controversial among yeah. Christians. Yeah. And, and I think there's some residual stuff with that. Like, the, you know, my kid's school, I don't think does Harry Potter, but it's more like we don't want to offend some parents, not mm -hmm. rather than like making a stand against but like schools were like making oh, yeah. a stand against harry potter back in the day and churches too mm -hmm. and i remember kind of adopting that as well up until i took a fantasy literature class in college <laughs> and i was like well i have to read it for class anyway and then i was like oh this is really fun on a certain level i don't care uh, so i'm just gonna read it <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't remember. Have I told my Harry Potter story on the podcast before? I cannot no. remember. Okay. So yeah, when for, when Harry Potter first came out, I was the, the ripe age to start reading those books. All of my friends were reading them. I remember writing with some, with some friends of ours. I went to a public school growing up, not a private Christian school, but hence why all my friends were reading them, Harry Potter. So, but their kids went to a private Christian school and I was, t- I just mentioned casually one day, like, oh, I, I think I'm going to pick up these Harry Potter books or whatever. And what I got in response was a newsletter from <laughs> their, <laughs> their school librarian about why they would not be putting the Harry Potter books in their school library. So I read it. And again, recall that I said I was a very impressionable and sensitive child. So basically I read this whole thing and it was going on and on about how like, if you read Harry Potter, you open yourself up to the demonic and you know, there are characters in this book that drink blood and like do awful, terrible, evil things. And of course reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to read those books. I don't want to open myself up to Satan. Like (laughs) I didn't read Harry Potter for a really long time. And all my friends that not, they wouldn't like make fun of me, but it was kind of like a weird, like, why don't you like, want to read these like you love fantasy books like I've seen you read other fantasy books why don't you read these and it was just like no I'm I'm not until I can't remember we we had moved to Alabama at that point I think I was like in, in ninth grade at this point and my parents came to me one day and they're like hey can you read this book it's called the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone because your brother wants to read them he's six years younger than I am so he's like your brother wants to read them and we just want to make sure there's nothing weird in here can you oh, read it for us that's so sweet <laughs> I know no it really I, I I love that they did that. That's really nice that they, that they didn't just go like, oh, Harry Potter, I've heard about this, you know? Yeah. And I just, I remember at first being like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to read, I'm going to touch the book and like. <laughs> it's like the Necronomicon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and open it and read from it. And then I'm just going to be, oh, you know, needless to say that didn't happen. And I thoroughly enjoy, enjoyed the book and I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, there's nothing bad in there. And the, the, and the part where it's like, no, like Voldemort is the one who drinks the unicorn blood. Like that's what she was referencing about characters drinking blood or whatever and like performing weird rituals. And I was like, no, no, no. Voldemort drinks uni- unicorn blood. And literally every character in the book was like, do not do this. Like this is bad. He's doing bad, evil things. Do not drink blood, you know? Do and not so drink it's the like, unicorn blood. Right, right. You are, you are now cursed and don't, don't do it, you know? And so I just remember getting to the end of the book and feeling very like... <laughs> I don't know if betrayed is the right word, but just like bamboozled maybe. I don't know. Like, what? I could have been reading these the whole time with my friends and having a good time. And now I've moved. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. right, right. But yeah, Um, so that's, I think that's another reason why I'm just super frustrated with people who are freak out about whatever the latest pop culture thing is and it must have Satan in it. I wonder sometimes if if we're not like all reacting against, I mean, there's really no other way to do it, right? We're reacting against past versions of whatever the other yeah. side was saying mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Now, now that it's like manifestly stupid, we're like, oh, look at the way they are, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, some are probably still that way. The ones that are like, like pretty behind the times and whatever their group is. Hidden in some place yeah. far from power where you're never going to hear from them. Yeah, yeah. where yeah. it's really not gonna, although yeah. it is disturbing to me to hear that at some of the highest levels of our judicial system, uh, <laughs> the Hellfire Club has penetrated <laughs> Uh, 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 I mean, I mean, I think 
it all comes out ultimately it's it's not really about D&D or rock music or what Harry Potter or whatever what it's about is like a combination of fear of the unknown we don't understand this thing it seems weird to us we're going to assume that there are bad things happening over there because yeah. it's weird and it's not explicitly Christian, you know, right. even though there are like, like trying to explain to somebody like, oh, but like Harry Potter actually has a lot of like Christian themes of like mm-hmm. self-sacrifice, friendship, love, you know, and power of love, all that stuff. Like that's very Christian, but you can't, you can't explain that to some people. It's they, yeah. all they hear is school of witchcraft and wizardry. And they're like, okay, right. this is the cult. Well, and going yeah. back to what we talked about earlier, there's also that there is a need to find evil and to find a reason oh, yeah. for Absolutely. the way things are breaking down yeah. and to yeah. have the scapegoat, to have the outsider, to have the, right. Uh, here's the nefarious plan and the reason why we can't have nice things. Is. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, it also stops, like you said, it is a scapegoat because it stops us from self-examining, realizing that I always forget who said the quote, but the, the, about the line between good and evil running through the heart of every human. Souls and yeah. Souls yeah. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's it. like it keeps us from recognizing that because it's easier to put people into camps and say oh those people doing dungeons and dragons or reading harry potter over there are clearly evil and we're in the good camp over here and we have to stop them and i think that's more what the stranger things is drawing on Mm -hmm. it's that like fear mongering it's again it's not so much about like oh this is how i think this actually happened it's more a commentary and honestly it's more of a commentary on what's happening right now in our present day of like very much like fear-mongering misinformation right people don't actually like want to sit down and understand what's happening they're just they're like we want to fix whatever's going on whatever we see is the problem whichever side you're on you know we see x is the problem so what we're going to do is we're going to do this to fix it also yeah forgetting that the good and evil runs through the heart of every person right it's it's a and and that's one of the reasons that i think charles williams approach to the invisible world is Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways superior to the i've never read peretti so i i I can't say him oh it's it's vastly superior you've never read peretti i've never read peretti (laughs) not even cooper family adventure um, series (gasps) not even cooper family listen you can't call yourself a 90s christian (laughs) i guess i'm i guess i'm just not more of a He's Christian. I don't know. It's hard because drama is external and humans are attracted to drama. And we like to, even in like Stranger Things, they're not like sitting around and like conducting like psychology sessions the whole time, you know, and and talking about like, okay, well, tell me about your growing, you know, growing up and let's, let's try to suss out. I mean, there is, there is some like internal stuff that gets worked out, but for the most part, the conflict is out there because Mm -hmm. that's how fiction works. And that's what we connect to as kind of tribal beings, right? It's it's very archetypal. I mean, it's like, here's, this is, Vecna represents evil. Like, this is what we have to go defeat. And I think what makes it so clever from a Stranger Things perspective is that it's like, yes, Vecna is an external threat, but he's also internal Uh at the same time because he is like a real being, like a human, he exists. He's not just in your mind, but he's also in your mind. That makes it more interesting. It it makes him more interesting than just like, oh, look, here's yet another stereotypical dark wizard. We got to go defeat him. You know, it's like, it's, it is like psychological. Like I wouldn't go so far as to call it like, you know, this is very deep, like super artsy, like, you know, psychological analysis of the human heart or or whatever, but it kind of is like, especially in the context of like Max and her struggle. Yeah, It is, it definitely gets more psychological 
So I, I think that helps because it's like at the, it's simultaneously an archetypal external threat and also yeah. an internal threat because the only reason that people are even vulnerable to Vecna, it's not like it's not like Vecna can just invade anybody's mind. It's like you have to be you have to have gone through some trauma. You've got to be like closed off to people. Right. And that's how, that's what makes you vulnerable to Vecna. And yeah. so I think that that kind of helps in a way solidify that. It gives us as the audience that like, oh yes, we have to go fight the threat. You know, we want the heroes to go fight the external threat, but also recognizes that humans are complicated beings and have internal conflict as well as an external conflict. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, scripture is very clear, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right. I think Williams does that well in a way that a lot of the fringier, as much as I love him, as much as I enjoyed being like going on prayer walks and like, and like praying against the stronghold or whatever else. And like pretending like I could see things and, you know, in the air or whatever else, like that's really, that's really appealing to this uh, kind of dramatic urge that we have right but the way williams demonstrates it kind of dramatizes it is and this is probably partly why williams is so hard to read it's It's almost entirely you resist evil right that's that's your job that's what you do because it's inside Mm -hmm. you as much as it's inside anyone else as much as it's like over that building over there it's you know it's it's tempting you you resist that and and you you receive the grace yeah yeah and you receive the grace and that's doing all kinds of things that you don't know about and you don't you're not privy to frankly and you shouldn't be but we want life to be more like Stranger Things than like yeah. a Charles Williams novel, right? Yeah. Or like Lord of the Rings than like Lord a Charles Williams yeah. novel, right? Where we can, yeah. we can like, we can see the evil and we're like really obviously good and we can like throw a bunch of Molotov to- cocktails at it. And <laughs> make it I mean, uh, okay. I, I really, I want to defend Lord of the Rings just for a moment because as you're yes. talking about all you do is resist the evil and you, you receive the grace. In Lord of the Rings, we're not supposed to identify with Aragorn. That's right. We are not Gandalf. Mm-hmm. We are maybe some people are called to be Frodo and to walk in, but most likely you're in that case you're a Sam and you're just mm-hmm. like watching. Yeah. But most of us are Merry and Pippin and yeah. caught up in a story we don't understand and messing up and are making wrong choices, not even knowing why we do what we do and why we pick up stones that get us in trouble and expose the people we love and move all these crazy things with wizards and and we didn't know but now because of what we did things are in a mess yeah and we're in a mess and it's by by grace that that mess is worked out as a you catastrophe and god uses all our our messes as you catastrophe and i i think there's something there is something about okay there is that a lot of what we're called to yes is that helpless trust but but sometimes you do get caught up in a story much bigger than you expected and with actual villains and actual monsters and when that comes to know that you can trust the author of the story to know that your job is is to resist but that might look like being screamed at by a witch king and stabbed in the shoulder or whatever it is i i think there is something to the the dramatization because there are great events in the world i'm rejoicing in answered prayers of the last 50 years and prayers that my my now dead mother i know prayed mm-hmm. right this year and that feels like a monumental victory on the level of oh my goodness the orcs are retreating and yeah. i didn't know gandalf was gonna come right 
and it's, I think there's something really okay about acknowledging the greater world events as well as our own internal mm-hmm. resistance to evil. Yeah. It's not an either or, I think, because yeah. there, like we've been saying, there is an external yeah. evil, but also an internal evil. And so I think to me, like Lord of the Rings captures that pretty perfectly because there is that obviously external narrative of, okay, we got to beat Sauron. Like, and we got to go destroy the mm-hmm. ring. Like that's, that's the goal. But also you have things like the Frodo's internal struggle to not be overtaken by the ring or yeah, Aragorn resisting temptation, Boromir succumbing to temptation. You know, it's like you still have these internal, Mm -hmm. this internal character drama on top of the external character drama. And so I think that's part of what makes Lord of the Rings so enduring. And so while like, yes, as much as I love Charles Williams, (laughs) I think that that partially explains why he isn't he has never reached the same level of popularity as a lewis or a tolkien because while his his ideas and his writing are brilliant and there's like a depth to them that's just beautiful it's like it in this internal but like spiritual realm where it's like there's not like in a williams novel you don't have oh there's a dragon go fight it you know we got to go defeat the dragon you know and so that it's harder to like put that into novel form <laughs> Because because so much of a novel is like characterization, like what are the characters doing, but also experiencing. And like, there is an element of what are the characters are doing in Williams, but it's not always obvious, especially when you have pages and pages and pages of internal, like, let me go off on a, a lovely description of what's happening inside of you, you know, or like... Yeah. That's why, like, I'm super understanding of of people who read Williams and are like, I have I have no idea what this is, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, so I'm just gonna move on and go back to Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I, I, I get it, you know. <laughs> I I think Lord of the Rings is is a perfect example of what Stranger Things is doing, especially in season four. And so obviously the Tolkien influences run all over the place, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean the Tolkien thing, you know, it, it definitely lines up with, uh, and they even reference it, you know, in, in season oh, yeah. four, you know. Yeah. Oh, Steve. <laughs> but it, yeah, it lines up with four people who are little people going mm-hmm. out into this scary world and trying to tangle with things they have no business tangling with. Yep. The thing that keeps them safe in Stranger Things, at least, seems to mostly be luck. The thing that keeps them safe in Lord of the Rings is luck, but luck theologically conceived as mm-hmm. Providence, mm-hmm. Providence, right? Yeah. But I think I think the difference is, and I think this is partly why Lord of the Rings is still more, it, it feels truer to, yeah. to me anyway, is that as you are saying, Annika, we're meant to sympathize with the hobbits and we're meant to sympathize with the hobbits who don't do anything really. They save the world, but they save the world by kind of screwing up and not having these great you know heroic actions maybe with the exception of sam right it's really putting one foot in front of the other going to a place where you don't enjoy the way things are there right and buggering on right until you get to where you're supposed to get and continuing to resist 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 finally get there and you screw up anyway but you know (laughs) but but it's still used right because there's still grace right yeah that does correspond to the idea i think the primary battle right being a spiritual battle that you can't see Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. as opposed to a spiritual battle where you can give spiritual designations to things in the world out there right Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. as both the click of basketball players turned vigilantes um, and, (laughs) 
and the heroes do in yeah. Stranger Things. And, and and we need that as, as people who are watching TV, right? It wouldn't work otherwise, right? But but the neat thing about what Tolkien does is you have that with Tolkien, but really what makes the true difference is just the little people doing the ordinary things that are no fun, mm-hmm. right? And the, like the part with the journey to Mordor, that's the least fun part to read in Lord of the Rings, but it's yeah. the most important part, yeah. right? I, I don't really enjoy reading about, oh, and everything looked really bad and yeah. there, was, there, there was no beauty. And I, I mean, it must co- just come from, I think, probably partly not only Tolkien's faith, but Tolkien's actual experience of war, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. is how, yep. that, that is how things are one. They're boring, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> a lot of times you have to wade through a lot of boring stuff to overcome. I think I think also um, Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, when he's talking about the war, Screwtape acknowledges that like, of course the war matters, but like how exactly it matters, that's not even for us to decide at this level of temperature, right? That's for spirits much further down in the lowerarchy to decide what mainly matters about the war is what it does to your patient, how it affects his standing with the enemy, whether he's practicing charity toward other people, whether he's, you know, whether he's doing his duty even, right? And, and his war duties, right? But doing them well without complaint and showcasing like kind of the fruits of the spirit in his behavior, right? There, there's kind of an upside down inversion of what we think is important when it comes mm-hmm. to winning things, having any kind of victory. I don't know, in a, in a world right now that people are so used to pointing at the other side and saying, oh, they're the evil ones. We're the goodies. We just need to impose our will upon them, saying instead, no, no, no. We need to like tend our garden and mm-hmm. live our mm-hmm. lives well in accordance with our faith and maybe unplug from the extraordinarily dramatic landscape that the news paints for us on an hourly basis. Just sort of live as we've been commanded to live, even though it's not sexy and, mm-hmm. and even though it might not be very metal either. But uh, but maybe occasionally it will. Well, and even then, the at the end of the journey in Lord of the Rings, you still had to go back and have the cleansing, the scouring of the Shire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was petty and smaller. Like the evil was not, the evil was to scale of the Shire. It wasn't to scale of the great epic, but it was still it had still infiltrated and needed to be resisted and that looked very different in in hobbit terms than it did in great grand scales So let's end with some predictions. What do you think is going to happen oh, in, the, uh, in the final <sighs> season of Stranger Things? Oh, man. Uh, the kids will win. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. I was hoping. Because, because here's the thing like about Stranger Things, too, is that, like, yes, it's very like dark and they have horror elements in it. But at the same time, it's like it's a different show from like a Game of Thrones or something where it's like, oh, it's super bleak and, you yeah. know, everybody's dead, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, again, it depends on your taste, I guess. But like, I prefer <laughs> Stranger Things over yeah. something like a Game of Thrones. E- like, even if they had, even if like a, a, an actual major character ends up dying at the end of season five or something, like it, it doesn't have quite the same like feel as like a, bleak you know there's no hope and i'm super cynical kind of show it's very hopeful and and optimistic um even when things are look really bad so like as cool as the end of season four was with um slow-mo nancy shooting that guy up (laughs) i was like yes girl (laughs) 
and Robin, I love Robin. As, as cool as that was, I do hope they maybe subvert those expectations a little bit of like, all right, here's the big evil. Let's go yeah, blow yeah. him up. It would be nice to see something a little more either either subtle or I don't know, just something different. There are fan theories floating around that Eddie's not dead. He's going to come back. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is like based on anything or if it's just like hope because everybody loves Eddie. Wishful. Yeah. I mean, wishful. someone has to die every series. I mean, the, the Sean Astin character, that was heartbreaking. Um, Alexi from season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but basically the pattern now is any new character they introduce in a season that everybody loves, they're dead. They're marked for death. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> So that's kind of why I wasn't really, like, I was sad that Eddie died, but I was not like, oh no, Eddie's right. dead. I was like, here it is. Especially with all the talk of like him being like, we're not heroes. I'm like, he's dead. No. They're going to, they're going to kill him. Yeah, red shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, though, I was really afraid they were going to kill Steve because. Yeah, I thought that all, too. All the whole monologue about like, yeah, I just have a dream about rent, renting a Winnebago and yeah, driving yeah, across yeah. the country with my six kids. And I'm like, oh no, they're like, going to kill Steve. If this were a war movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In your head right now. But they did not do that. So, so I don't know. Um, and at this point, I'm like, listen, Steve has made it through four seasons. Please let him just make it through all five seasons. I don't know. So, I, don't I don't know if that Winnebago dream is going to come true. I don't know. You know. Yeah. I trust. I trust that the that the Duffer brothers know what they're doing and that they're they'll do it whatever it is they're going to do is going to be, be fine. It'll, it'll be entertaining. I'm not looking for stranger things to be some, like, like I said, deep philosophical, like artsy piece of television, you know, like, right. but right. I think it's, it's, it's good. It's quality. It's fun. Yes. We could argue about like plot holes and what's what characters are, do- you know, like as you can do with anything, yeah. you can say like, this is a plot hole. Why did they do it this way? You know, it's like, but to me that, that yeah. just takes away from the fun of the show. It's been a long time since I've sat down and watched a new show and just been immediately sucked in and been like, I, I yeah. have to see where this goes, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It's the closest thing we get to mainstream pop culture these days. Yeah. Right. Just a show that's so popular and well done that everybody, everybody knows about it. Gosh. Do you have predictions, Chris or Annika? I think the Russians are coming back. Yeah. And I, I think. Red Dawn. I, Red Dawn. Oh man. <laughs> it, it is going to be the Russians in Hawkins using whatever the particle whatever yeah that's, in that's their, down particle stuff yeah their their army of monsters are going to haunt everybody maybe through some sort of portal i i also think that's going to be used as like the naturalistic explanation for mm-hmm. some sort of russian experiments also are at play in creating the upside down yeah. and yeah. maybe it's like nuclear yeah stuff maybe it's but there will be a scientific explanation at bottom at the end indeed (laughs) so i think it sounds like at least from what i heard there's going to be a time jump which makes sense because the cast will have aged a bit more although i'll be interested to see how they do that because where they left season four well how does how do you jump ahead two years from that you know like I'll tell you how I think how I see them doing it. Okay. So things have been really bad in Hawkins for a long time and they live by the skin of their teeth being all scrappy and whatnot. And it's kind of an escape from New York situation where uh, they, you know, constantly have to dodge things from the upside down and whatever else. And then finally they figure out how to take out Vecna and they go to do it and they do, but it costs them enormously and then it's all over. That's what I think 
they'll they'll draw on like all of these 80s movies where it's this dystopian city in the future you know essentially anarchic right and maybe it'll be even kind of like humans are just as bad as the creatures from the upside down sort of thing there's essentially this this anarchic state that nobody can get into or out of because the government will have sealed up hawkins right to uh oh i like that yeah and then they are essentially all just like freedom fighting until they uh until there's a big explosion and vecna's no more so that's that's my guess do we we think that l survives the confrontation the final confrontation with vecna because i could see that going both ways i could see them killing her off but also not (laughs) you know i do not think they'll kill her off yeah. They very well may kill Steve off, but I don't think they'll kill no, him. No, don't say that. Don't uh, speak that into existence, Chris. Yeah. Because Steve's just been... Gr- Steve, I mean, that was their plan for Steve in the first place anyway. Shh. Better for him to die a hero, and that resolves the love triangle. No! Uh, no! no. Kill Jonathan! Kill Jonathan! <laughs> Jonathan's so dumb. Please he take Jonathan. He just gets hot all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I did think Stranger Things did a great job showing how um, drugs cuts you off from people who need you. Yeah. Like, actually, the, yeah. the Jonathan Will arc, where mm-hmm. he realizes how he wasn't there and how lonely his brother is. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's... I, I really appreciated that. That was good. Here's what I could see them doing with Jonathan. They, like, underdeveloped him for most of the season, right? Yeah. And they yeah they they pretty he just gets high all the time he could rise to greatness in henry the henry Henry the fifth sort of fashion where in he he ditches his high friend who get who he gets in trouble all the time he ditches falstaff who he's always just getting drunk with right yep and finally becomes the person he was always meant to be after he's put away these like, uh, you know, getting high or getting drunk or whatever yeah. else yeah. and leads them into battle and they have kind of a St. Crispin's Day moment. Yes. Whatever else. I think that could happen, but not in getting rid of as in he, what do you call it? The the renouncing, not renouncing. Right, right. He's not going to renounce Argyle. No, but but I, I think Argyle uh, is going to go back and and find Susie's sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. There's going to be something bringing them back to Utah with Susie and her sister and all the Mormons. It's okay. Great. So I've got to yeah. say that was my favorite part yes. of, the <laughs> that whole, was so awesome. of the whole season that <laughs> they build it up as like, these are going to be these creepy, you know, overly yep. religious, stayed, placid yeah. and Mormons. They're like, they guard the house is just like any other big family you know i thought that was fantastic and like the kids are all doing awesome stuff yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but i i thought i thought that was awesome that was just the one of the greatest moments all right well we have been talking for a long time. This has yes. been Inklings Variety hours. So uh, let's. It's been a long time since we've all gotten together. It definitely time. has. It definitely yeah. has. And it's been wonderful to mm-hmm. talk with the two of you again. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this. And I'm sure you can find better commentary on Stranger what? Things no. out there. No. Never. Uh, <laughs> Nowhere. But Stranger Things paired with. Plus Inklings. Deep knowledge of Inklings works. I, you're going to be hard pressed to find find that somewhere else hope you enjoyed it i'll see you all next time uh, oh and megan or annika would you like to say anything 
me last thing. No, we were, we were just going to stay here. We were done. <laughs> I didn't want to just the cut you all off. The spoke for us. I know, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Just tell me before I die that I did the right thing. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but you were like, okay, I'll see you next time. And it's like, what about, what if the rest of us get together yep. to talk about more stranger things or something else? You know, I don't, I don't know. Please do. We could, we could have another D&D episode. I could yeah. talk a lot about D&D. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Finish up Princess and the Goblin. Is that, oh, I thought y'all had finished that already. No, no, yeah. we're still, nope. we're still working on it. You know how it is. You know how it is. <laughs> That's yeah. true. I slow everything down because I want to read and comment on every everything. Page. Yeah. yeah. Well, me too. Right. That's, that's that's the mark of a good reader. Um, <laughs> all right. Any 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 like catchphrase you all want to sign off with or anything like that? Uh, Resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah. <laughs> that's not really my catchphrase. That's but I felt like it was a good lesson. What's the what's the uh, what's the Argyle song that they play in the van? All the time. Pass the... Oh, pass the Ducci. Pass the Ducci Pali left hand side. Pass the Ducci Pali left hand side. It's a go bon. Give me the music, make me jump and fly. It's a go bon. Is it pass the Ducci? Because that's from a Beck song. No, it's the... Da, something da, else. Da, 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 from the left hand side. Yeah. It's on the Wedding Singer soundtrack. Yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. So, you know, that could be a good catchphrase that you could sign off with. <laughs> no, I'm not signing off. We're not that. signing off with all that. Right, all right. Well, thank you all so much for coming on and talking with me about Stranger Things. I hope we can do this again soon. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just been great. Uh, Yay. Right. And listeners, thank you. See you around. encounter full of joy unscheduled on the decent plan with here an addict of Tolkien there a Charles Williams fan I say you're asking me to follow you into Mordor which if I'm totally straight with you I think it's a really bad idea but uh the Shire the Shire is burning so Mordor it is what is Mordor